Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Hey, I want to start with reading out of Luke chapter 2 this morning as we kind of embark on a little bit of a Christmas series. How many of you know it's Christmas time? It's the most wonderful. Come on, Greg, sing it with me. Yeah. Come on, it is, it is. You know, I, I was in a gas station here just the other day, and this is one of the reasons I love this season. It was, and it's not just a gas station, it was a truck stop. I mean, legit, it was so a truck stop that in the men's bathroom, which was really my purpose for darkening the door, <laughs> you know, it's 43, so <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> they actually had the, uh, what is it, big red, like the gritty grease soap for your hands. Does that make sense? Like, that stuff is expensive. Have you ever priced that stuff out? But they had it available in the men's restroom because they know that truckers are going to be stopping in, working on stuff, you know, getting those rigs back on the road, right? I'm like, so this is a legit truck stop. And here I, I, I come into the restroom and I hear this, hark now, hear the angels sing. I was like, come on, Jesus. I, I literally like just worship music blasting in the men's bathroom and all over the place. I'm like, this is the only time of year, how many of you know, where secular establishments like Walmart pray, rather play, worship music, right? We alive? Does that feel like a good thing to you? Okay, because it didn't there for a second. I was questioning my, questioning where we were going with that. This is, you know, how many of you know that God takes everything that the enemy does, he twists it and he works it for good, right? You know, we can get bent out of shape about the secularization of Christmas and the, you know, the, whatever it's called, the monetization of, what's it called? The, whatever you're talking about. Commercial commercialization. Boom. See, that's why we asked you guys, who was that? John Mark. We expect nothing less from him. But, you know, we can get bent out of shape about all those things, or we can go, God's giving us an opportunity. He's giving us an opportunity, and he's blasting worship into secular establishments, and we get an opportunity this season to share the reason behind the season. Amen? You know, and we're going to do a little bit of that today as we read Starting right there in verse 1, I baptized the stand there. It's okay. It needed to get saved too. Jesus said, preach to all creation. Anyway, verse 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken on all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken by Curinius. Curinius. Yeah, I did get it right. Who was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up to Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was in the house of the family of David, verse 5, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, but was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all of the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men 
with whom he is pleased. I do think it's curious that he adds peace among those who he's pleased with. Scary for those not. Have you ever had exceedingly good news that you just couldn't help but share with other people? You know, those kinds of experiences, those kinds of experiences that are like, hey guys, we're having a baby. Did you know my wife's pregnant? How many of you got to share that news and were excited about it? I was pretty excited myself. I've been excited three times now. <clears throat> That's all the excitement I ever want in my life. <laughs> I, think I think I'm done being, done being excited. <laughs> You know, or, 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 or maybe it's, you know, or everybody's probably experienced this, like maybe you've been praying that, that God would help you on a test, and you, you take the test, and you get done, and you aced that thing. Like, man, I, got, I did a good job. I mean, you want to tell somebody about that. You're like, oh, I did good. Thanks for praying. Maybe somebody was interceding for you, but, but, but nonetheless, you're, you're, you're excited to share that good news. Or I got that job. I mean, recently, even in our front closet, somebody had received a job that, that they'd been praying for. They were excited to share with the rest of the room. Hey, hey, that job, that job you were in, so I got the job. I'm so excited. They saw this in me. Like what I knew was in there, they saw it. Right? They're excited to share that news with the people that are around them, with the people that are around us. It, how many of you know, like, that's normal? That's a normal thing for us. That's a normal human reaction. It's, it's, it's common, it's expected that we would share with people around us, especially in our sphere of influence, those things that are, that are exciting to us. You know, those things that, that, those things that put a smile on our face, we, we want to share those things with others so that they will share in the excitement of it. Isn't that right? Yeah. Right? So I, I see this, this, this picture here, and I find it interesting because we read the story of Christ and his birth, but I think that the angels are actually modeling this to us. I mean, think about it just for a second. The angels showed up, manifested in the Spirit, like manifested right in front of their eyes to declare that Jesus was born, but they did it to shepherds. Shepherds out in, in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and, and while the history of Israel is favorable towards shepherds, I mean, Moses and David, things like that, at this point in history, the favor had kind of worn off, and these were kind of the lowly folks. You know, they, 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 they weren't re- the religious type. I mean, they stunk like animals. They were herders. They, they weren't the religious type in the sense that they were diligent to go to church every Sunday and all of that. You know, they had a job that kept them out on the hillside. You know, they, they weren't the most influential people. I don't know, you know, they weren't standing in the pulpit speaking, they weren't presidents of nations, they were shepherds, they were taking care of sheep. And, and yet the angels come and, and excitedly declare, hey, this amazing news that Jesus Christ was born to you today. There's so much I think that we can unpack out of that, but the first thing is this, they're modeling something. I don't think the angels could contain themselves. Think about it. I mean, an angel had already come that had announced the news to Mary and subsequently to Joseph and got him on board with the whole scheme of God, right? You know, so, so that piece was already done. I mean, who else really needed to know? I mean, Jesus was going to do what Jesus was going to do. He was going to walk the earth. He was, gonna, he was going to walk and live the gospel. He was the lamb, you know? Like he was going to do miracles for the first time in several hundred years. Like, they, like, like God was breaking in. People were going to understand pretty quick that this was something that was, was, was particularly special about this man. He's a prophet. He's the Savior. He's the one. They didn't need to go to the shepherds who were not influential and to share this good news. I think, I think, 
just as we talked about just a second ago. I think they couldn't contain themselves. I think that they had to share the good news to somebody. And can you just imagine for a second, you're out in the starry sky. There's not a city light out there to be seen for miles and miles. It's as black and pitch dark as it could possibly be. And then, bam, an angel shows up, shining like the glory of God, and lights up the place like it's daylight. And after he begins to declare his message, then it says a multitude of angels showed up. <sighs> Come on, how many want an encounter like that with God? Yeah. She's like, make me a shepherd. I'll do it, God. I was like, just send me the angels. Like, I just want to see that. That's just, that's, wow, like, do it to me, Jesus. But in verse 10, they tell us what they were declaring. It says, for I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Question I want to ask you this morning is, do you believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is great joy that is for every individual person? Do you believe the message that the angels were releasing to those shepherds that day? If you're over 40 in here, and a lot of us are, it's the sad part of an aging pastor. The church ages with you, you know? So three years ago, I crossed the barrier and officially got old, and now you're old. You're welcome, you know? <laughs> but if you're over 40, statistically speaking, probably that question is a no-brainer for you. Statistically speaking, you're like... <sighs> Yeah, of course this is great news for all people. Yes, yes, yes. But you might be surprised to know that if you're between the ages of 25 and 40, we call that the millennial generation, that 47% of those folks in that who were surveyed within that uh, age range, 47% had either reservations or completely were opposed to sharing the gospel such that it would lead to conversion in another person, especially of another faith. So, so let me ask you the question again. I'll just pose it a different way. Do you believe that it is right or wrong to share this news such that it results in someone's conversion? Well, 40% of those from the age of 25 to 40, 47% say, no, we don't believe that's right. Now, on the heels of the millennial generation are the Gen Zs. That's, that's my teenagers. My teenagers are, are Gen Z. And the Gen Z, they say, just take this even a step further. So what the millennials are, are modeling and believing, the Gen Zs are like, we're on board and plus some, right? And so when you see 47%, it's actually magnified when you add the, the, the newest generation or the newest, like, a little bit older generation to the mix. How many of you know if 47% and plus some with the Gen Z's added to it declare that to share the gospel in such a way that it, that it leads one to conversion is wrong? We got a big problem. We've got a big problem. You, do, are you with me? You don't look like you're with me. We've got a big problem. Folks, if we're going to reach this city and we're going to reach the nations, if we're going to reach our region, if we're going to do anything at all, We've got to change our mindset. Because here's the thing. While those statistically over the age of 40, while it's probably a no-brainer for you that we should be sharing the gospel, I'd be willing to bet that almost every one of us in here are probably slightly, at least slightly apprehensive to do so. And I wonder if we, the over 40 crowd, 
have inadvertently, through our apprehension and through our fear, modeled something that is now being perpetuated in the generations that follow us. Something that I think we need to renegotiate. I I, I think that while we think it's a no-brainer to share, we're just as apprehensive, just as fearful to do it, just for different reasons. We have to face our fear on the subject. Wouldn't you agree? See, the enemy for far too long has lied to us. We know this, right? From the very beginning, this was his tactic. Did God really say? No, he didn't say that. I'm gonna, you know, he's just a liar, right? This is what he does. He tries to twist things. And one of the things that we've seen that he's twisted is this. We have come to believe that people do not want the message that we have to share. We have come to believe that people just don't want to hear about it. And for years, we've heard this sentiment perpetuated that we don't talk about what? Religion and, and politics, right? Uh, but that's not really true. We talk about politics all the time until we hate one another. We just don't talk about religion, right? So <laughs> it's the scheme of the enemy to, to lead us to believe that no one wants to actually hear this good news that we have come to believe as truth. Well, it's exactly the opposite. Listen, think about this. Every human being is made and fashioned by God himself. Is that right? Even the child born out of wedlock? Just want to make sure we weren't religious in here. God has made every single individual Every person in this room and every person on this planet, he's made you. And when he made you, he put something on the inside of you. He designed you to actually be yoked with him in unity. You are designed by God, inherent on the inside of you, you even in opposition to the sin nature that unfortunately befell you at your birth. Even in opposition to that is something on the inside of you that screams out that this is truth, that this is my creator, that this is my design, that he's the one that completes me, and that I'm not going to be complete unless I have him. Those of us who have been around a while, it used to be preached as like a God-shaped hole in our heart, but how many of you know that's a spot-on analogy? For the reality that exists, God created every single individual and he created every individual with a longing to be redeemed and corrected and yoked again in relationship. You were created, every person on the planet was created to be in relationship with God. So when you speak this gospel message, you're actually speaking to the internal wiring that God himself placed there. I did different times I've been on the street sharing the gospel, and I'll just tell them and look right into their eyes. And I'm like, you know that what I'm saying to you right now is truth. Well, how can I say that with such confidence? Because God has wired it into their DNA. He, they were literally designed to not only hear the message, but to apply it and to go after him with their whole heart. And so when they hear the message, something on the inside of them actually stirs. Something on the inside of them begins to awaken. It's a lie to believe that they don't want to hear our message because they are designed by God to receive this message. Don't allow the enemy to continue to perpetuate that lie. But here's the thing. They may not know that it's Jesus that can fit that heart shape, that hole in their heart. And this is where you and I come in. See, the Bible says, how will they know unless someone tell them? Who's the someone? Raise your hand. That's you. We are the someone. How will they know unless someone tell them? Well, they, they won't. Is that a big deal to anybody but me? 
I would like to think it's a big deal for every one of you in this room. In fact, I would go so far to say, I think it's the biggest deal. Is there anything more important than this one thing? Hey, I'm not an evangelist, okay? I, it's like, that's not even how I'm hardwired in the sense of gifting, but I, but I am hardwired in the sense that I understand the gravity of this. I mean, after all, I would contend, this is why, this is why we're still here. In part, it's at least one of the biggest reasons. I mean, I, I, otherwise I'd be like, yes, Lord, I believe you. Oh, and I'm with you for eternity. Why else am I here? Because he wishes that none should perish. He wishes that none should perish, that all would come to repentance. And so he partners with me to make that a reality on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? We have got to get over our fear of sharing the gospel. A few weeks ago, I asked my son if I could share this example he retorted back, I've never known you to ever ask permission. <laughs> and I responded that he was getting old and bougie, and it seemed appropriate that I begin to ask him before I just start preaching about him. <laughs> you know, and, and a few weeks ago, he, he had an opportunity presented to him by Holy Spirit. You ever had Holy Spirit whisper something in your heart, and you're going, mm, okay, you start feeling a little bit of pressure, you know? He had an opportunity to pray for his boss, somebody who was an authority over him. You know, and, and here's the thing, you know, he's an introvert, like his dad, and so the idea of engaging with other people in public isn't exactly thrilling for him, and so the idea of praying for somebody in public is outside of his comfort zone. Is that safe to say? It's outside of his comfort zone. And, but immediately as he began to hear, you should go lay hands on that guy, you should go pray for your boss, he began to recognize that fear was creeping in, and, and he recognized it as fear such that he was like, Okay, all right, so I'm hearing something that's outside of my comfort zone, so that's not me. I wouldn't tell myself to get outside of my comfort zone, right? I would tell myself to stay comfortable. Okay, uh, so the devil wouldn't ask me to go pray for somebody, so eh, by deduction, I think probably God's speaking to me. I'm being resisted by fear, and this is what he said to me, and I'm so proud of him. He said, I knew that if I was being resisted by fear that I absolutely had to step into this. You know, if I was being resisted by fear to step out into something that clearly wasn't of my own initiative, that I absolutely had to look fear in the eyes and step into this and pray for that guy no matter the consequence. What would happen if every person in this room began to look at fear in the way that this young man did? What would it look like if every time you were prompted by Holy Spirit on the inside of you and the fear came in, you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I should share. Maybe they're going to reject me. Maybe they're going to think I'm a weird Jesus freak. Maybe they're going to, whatever your excuse is, right? That fear comes in and you're like, I don't know that I can do this. What if you were like, you know what? I recognize that if fear is coming against me, I must be doing something right and I'm going to step into the face of fear and I'm going to share the gospel and allow the cards to fall where they may. How many of you know it's not your, responsible, your responsibility to get somebody saved? This should take some of the pressure off. <laughs> the Bible says that Father God himself woos people, but he says that he uses you to share, so my responsibility is just to open my mouth. So that should lift the pressure off of us so that when fear is in front of us, we go, you know what? I'm here. I know this is God. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to take the bull by the horns. I'm going to stand and resist fear. 
And I'm going to share what God has just put on my heart. And I'm going to allow Father God an opportunity here, right? What if everybody in this room began to live our lives saying, I'm not going to bow to fear. I'm going to step right into the middle of it and I'm going to make this thing happen. I'll tell you what will happen. We would save this city. We'd blow up this region for Jesus. That's what would happen. So let's spit on fear. I remember an evangelist recently. She had said, she said, you know, if I get sick or anything like this, she said, I figure if the enemy is going to throw something like that at me, she said, I'm going to find 10 people who've got the same issue and I'm going to lay hands and get them healed. The devil is going to mess with me, then I'm going to, I'm going to make it 10 times harder on him. What if it was every time we were fearful to share the gospel, we were like, you know what? It's not one anymore, devil. It's two. I'm going after two. Why? Because I'm not allowing fear to motivate or to rule me. How many of you know fear is irrational anyway? What if they were like, uh, uh, no, no, you can't pray for me. What just happened? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. That was not the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. God bless you, sir. You're getting prayer whether you know it or not, right? Like, what happened? Nothing happened. Then what are we afraid of? (laughs) The angels have modeled something in the birth story. They've modeled something here, one that everybody is worthy of this message, this good news that we've got. That's what it said after all. The news of, of great joy that was literally for every person, it says. For every single person. So why the shepherds? Because they were kind of the lowly representatives with no influence. Every person gets the gospel. Why? Because Jesus Christ is worthy of it. Here's the other thing. When we get caught in these scenarios where you're like, you know, you go, you go through this procession, this logical procession, which by the way, I encourage you to do. Test the word. You're like, okay, I wouldn't tell myself to get out of the comfort zone. The devil sure as heck wouldn't tell me to do that. Well, I guess it must be God. That's one of the ways we can identify who is the source, right? When you get into a scenario like that and you go, "Mm, by process of deduction, this must be God. Can I just tell you to not do now what he's impressing on you to do is disobedience? What do we call disobedience? Boom. It's sin. What have we been talking about the last 15 weeks? The fact that Jesus on the cross and subsequent resurrection empowered you no longer to have to do it. Do you really want to step back into it in these moments where he's pressing on you to share about the goodness with somebody else? I'm pretty sure that's not the place where I want to sin against God. And he's empowered you not to be able to do it. Does that make sense? That's that, right? (laughs) He's empowering you to be able to step in against your fear and to get some God-sized results in those moments. Boy, we've got to change the way that we think. On the one hand, this is a huge deal. People are going to hell all around us all the time. And Jesus has already paid for them. I want him to get what he's paid for. On the other hand, this is not a big deal. Because the sharing of the gospel in our spheres of influence has to become as normal and natural as sharing with people that I got the job. Why would I be any more apprehensive about Jesus, which is so so much more exciting than I am about my job. It has to become the natural, normal part of our day in and our day out lives. Normal, not scary, just normal. Because normal human beings share with other normal human beings the things that excite them. 
because you want them to be able to share in the excitement that you are now experiencing. There's not a person in our sphere of influence that we don't, that we don't want to have what we have, right? We've got to go after this, guys. So significant. And I've leaned into it just a little bit. What if, what if we weren't normal in the sense in which we talk about Jesus among strangers? Because honestly, sometimes that's easier, isn't it? I'm never going to see you again. You know, do you know Jesus? Yeah, you know, okay, let's have a conversation. Oh, you hate me? Okay, God bless you. God bless you. Just, God. I never have to see him again, right? There's a sense in which that's easier. But how many of you know that God has placed me into my sphere of influence for a purpose? He's charged me with this gospel for my very specific sphere of influence. So what if we began to get bold for Jesus with people that we know all around us? I think things would begin to shift. Listen to this. According to Barner, the most popular method of evangelism, and when it's talking about the most popular method, it's talking about what is actually working right now. Okay, so just to clarify that. According to Barnard, the most popular method of evangelism was prayer. 43% of evangelists did so by praying for others' salvation. And what it's talking about there, again, I just want to make sure that I'm being super clear. They're not just praying with someone for salvation. Like, pray this prayer with me, you know? He's talking about they're interceding on behalf of the lost. We'll come back to that. The next method was to live in such a way as to encourage questions about their faith. That was at 40%. You know, when I used to work for a bank... You know, I used to have, I had a track sitting on the shelf right behind my desk that said, are you saved? And, you know, and I had a seminary, by then I already had a seminary degree, so I had my seminary degree listed there and a few other things, hoping that somebody would ask me about those things in my secular place of employment. Because the moment that they asked me, I could take advantage of that without any concern. Because they asked me, I didn't open the door, they did. So I was living in such a way as to provoke conversations to get someone who was seeking to ask me about Jesus. Are you willing to live like that? About 38% of evangelists also engaged in interactive conversations about moral and life issues that hopefully led to spiritual conclusions. The least widely used forms of outreach included sending letters or emails that encouraged readers to accept Christ at only 11%. Now listen to this. And public preaching at only 6%. What does that mean? That means, folks, you're going to have to do more than just invite them to church. But listen, I want to make an appeal to you. Invite them. This is the Christmas season. People are softened this season. Invite them to church. But it's only 6% effective. Listen as we continue. Upon analysis of the data, George Barner, the lead surveyor, explained that the modes of evangelism, excuse me, yeah, the modes of evangelism have been seemingly changing over the past few decades of American history. Just as our nation's culture has changed dramatically in the last 30 years, so, excuse me, so has the way in which people come to Christ, he explained. The weekend church service is no longer the primary mechanism for salvation decisions. Our uh, only one out of every 10 believers who, who makes a decision to follow Christ will do so from a church setting or a church service. Now listen, on the other hand, personal relationships have become more, even more important than evangelism, with a majority of salvation decisions coming in direct response to the invitation given by a family member or a friend. <laughs> Did you hear that last bit? The vast majority of decisions for Christ have come from people who one would consider a family member or a friend. That means we need to start opening up our mouths 
with our spheres of influence. Now, there's a lot to unpack in there, but let me just start with the one thing, and this is the biggest point that I want you to take away today. The first thing on the list was prayer. Are you today regularly praying for someone who is lost in your sphere of influence? Are you praying for a neighbor, for a prodigal to come home, uh, you know, a, a, maybe a brother and sister who don't know Jesus? Are you actively engaging in the place of prayer on behalf of someone who you want to hold and live in the truth that you now walk in? Are you praying for the lost? Because I'm telling you, I, I, personally, I hold this belief that, that I think the vast majority, if not 100% of those who come into the kingdom, they come in because somebody was interceding for them behind the scenes. I bet if I surveyed you in here and you started thinking about it, you'd be like, oh, actually, yeah, I didn't know it, but somebody was, somebody was praying for me behind the scenes. Do you know how many public school teachers were praying for me personally to come to, come to know Jesus? And there was a reason they were praying, you know? But they were, they were praying for me. And after I got saved one by one, they come out of the closet and they were like, oh, we're so, we're so grateful to God because we were praying for you. Like, you were praying for me? Like, Listen, I don't, I mean, I'm tempted to say 100%. I truthfully, I just, I don't know for sure. But I think the vast majority of people who are coming to faith, they're coming to faith because people like you are actually interceding on the regular on their behalf. Now, listen to this scripture. It's maybe a smidge controversial in the way that I roll it out, but usually I'm right and they're wrong. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. I first came across this when I was in high school. I was, I was so excited about the verse but I was too timid to tell my mentor that I believed this was saying what I thought it was saying because I didn't want him to tell me no. So I refused to tell him and I just held it in my heart. <laughs> now I get to preach to the world. So. so this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask from him. Now, we already know in here, every one of you, you know that it's God's will, that none should perish or that all be brought to repentance, that everybody comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the will of God and everybody in here knows it. Then why don't we have faith that when we pray for the lost, that God's going to meet them in that place? Oh, well, oh, it's that free will thing. Okay, yeah, free will. See, about that free will. God's not going to take their free will from them, but I'm telling you this, he will unleash heaven over them. And he can't, like, we're talking about, like, this is God. Do you think that God's not going to be able to put some pressure on these people such that it's more difficult for them to say no than it is yes? Okay, I yield mercy. Your intercession is significant. You're praying the will of God. He wants it more than you do. But listen, I, like, I, I don't understand God in this respect. But he has limited himself to you. He's limited himself to you. How will they know lest someone tell them? Notice that he didn't say he was going to climb Mount Everest and tell everybody himself. So it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to, to say something. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to pray something. To intercede, to partner with him that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every single person in my sphere... We've got to go after this in the place of prayer. We've got to partner with him. to I, Man, I don't want to stand before the Father in heaven and for him to go, dude, if you had just prayed a little longer for those people, they would have all got saved. 
If you would have just opened your mouth for once, for goodness sakes, those people would have gotten saved. Could you imagine hearing that? They say there's no tears in heaven, but I'm not sure I could hold them back. I mean, imagine just for a second. And I sure as heck don't want to be the one that stands before him and I'm like, hey, look at this one shiny penny I got. This one salvation in my whole entire life service to you. I don't think there's anybody in this room who wants to stand before the Father and go, look at the, I got the one. Some of us maybe don't even have the one. If it's the most important thing we could ever do with our lives, we've got to change the way we think. We've got to change the way that we pray. This is some of the stuff that we can pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 4, how many of you know that we have a very real enemy? And he's coming after those people who are lost to keep them lost. He's desperate for them to be as miserable as he is. Listen to what it says. It says, in their case, the God of this world, talking about the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you remember the scales that the Apostle Paul had over his eyes after he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus? There are very real scales in the spirit that the enemy releases over the unbelieving to keep them unbelieving. It says that the gospel would be foolishness to them. It's foolishness to them unless you and I pray for them. We have to begin to intercede that the scales in the spirit are peeled away so that they can actually begin to see truth. Otherwise, they're just going to continue to say this thing is foolishness. Those scales are eliminated by prayer and intercession. When we pray and we intercede for them, the soil of their hearts get cultivated such that the seed that is thrown actually finds good soil and bears fruit. We have to intercede. We have to pray. Didn't Jesus say, my house shall be a house of prayer? I had a pastor recently say, he said, you know, Christians are all up in arms about prayer being pulled out of school. He said, but the last I looked, they don't even have prayer in the church. Oh, God. First Mondays, 6 to 7 o'clock. You can change that. Shameless promotion. We have to pray and partner with God to see the scales peeled back away from their eyes. But not only is he trying to put scales over their eyes, look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. It says, when anyone hears the words, a parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away the word that's been sown into their heart. So we not only have to pray diligently that they can actually see, perhaps for the very first time, that they can actually see with eyes of truth, that they can recognize that this good news that you're sharing actually is the answer, the longing of their heart, that this is the fulfillment of the very thing they've been after. Not only do we pray that, we also have to pray over them that the word that is sown wouldn't be snatched from them. It reminds me of, 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 of Pharaoh. And by the way, in Samuel, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Take that, Calvinist. And Pharaoh, you can imagine, Moses comes to him and he's like, let my people go. And there's the plagues and all this. And you see this moment in time where Pharaoh goes, yeah, you're right. I, I'm going to concede. I got to let these people go. And you see the enemy come right in there and snatch the word right out of his heart. And all of a sudden you see him go, wait a second. I'm not letting these people go. No way. And then we go in for round two and three and four. Right? 
The enemy wants to steal the word that is sown so that people will continue to live a life believing that this gospel is foolishness so that they will go where he's ultimately going to go. I want to charge you guys in here this morning. This is your homework. Last week we talked about one small decision that you can make to change the trajectory of your life. I want to present to you this as a small decision that you can make. I want you to think of just one or two people that you have in your immediate sphere of influence that you can begin to intercede for that the scales would be lifted from their eyes and that the enemy would be kept at bay and not able to rob the truth from their hearts, right? One or two people. Now listen, I know as soon as I say that, that you're going to leave here like that's a great idea, but I'm busy and I'm hungry and I've got the kids and Boy Scouts and this and that. And you're going to get here next week and I'm going to be like, hey, who have you been praying for? Dang it! I knew I should have been praying for somebody. So I, I want you today I want you to identify those couple of people. I want you to put them on your prayer journal. I mean, whatever it takes. Put them on the, the mirror of your, of your bathroom so that you see it every day when you're brushing your teeth. You know, put it in your phone as a reminder so lunchtime your reminder pops up. Hey, pray. Pray for so-and-so. You know, do something that creates some intentionality such that you can partner with God because this is number one on the list of what is most effective in getting people into the kingdom. We have to be praying for those in our sphere of influence. And I want you to also consider this. We're getting ready. In a couple of weeks, we're getting ready to enter into you know, the Christmas celebration. Most of us, we're going to be hanging around probably with relatives and people. Maybe we only get to see once or twice a year. I want you additionally to be praying not only, not only just for a couple of people, but and maybe those couple of people are the same. But I want you to be praying for those people who you're going to be mixing with at Christmas. And I want you to ask with boldness, Ask God for an opportunity to share the gospel this year with those folks. God, would you empower me? Would you embolden me? Would you create an opportunity and would you prepare their heart to receive the word this Christmas? Is there any better gift? Remember, we talked about looking fear in the eye and stepping in and beyond. This is our opportunity. Amen. Father, we invite you, we ask that you would change our minds. That you would ruin any of the programming or the stuff that we've bought into in our brains that tells us that people don't want the message. That's a lie. We renounce it as an absolute lie. And we're asking that all of the demonic assignment that's been sent to perpetuate that lie in our hearts and in our land would be broken by your spirit right now. In Jesus' name. We're asking, would you embolden us? Would you empower us? Would you loose our tongues such that sharing you and the good news of Christ is just normal? It's just normal. It's not scary. It's just like sharing I got that job interview. We want to partner with you, Jesus, because we love you and because we believe there's nothing more important than helping you to get what you've already paid for. Man, maybe there's a Billy Graham in here or a Scott Allen. <laughs> Would you give him 100000 
it's a good starting point. Would you do that for us? Would you give us that kind of influence? Would you, would you just, would you, would you give us our sphere of influence? Would you give us one this week? <laughs> you have not because you asked not. Isn't that what the word says? And we're asking this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.